You know, when it comes to wireless carriers, sometimes what you see isn't always what you get. Except with Visible. With Visible, what you see is exactly what you get. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. With Visible, there are no hidden fees, no fine print, no hassle, nothing to hide. It's just $25 a month, all taxes and fees included. And you don't need more than one line of wireless to save. You can save on a line all to yourself with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. And again, just $25 a month. The future of wireless is here and it is transparent. If you want more transparency in your wireless plan, you want to be on the Visible plan. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. That's Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. This episode of GameScoop is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're looking for a way to make your business stand out and succeed online, Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for you. They take the stress out of creating an awesome website, engaging with your audience, and selling anything from products to content to time so you're able to focus on, you know, everything else. In other words, you'll have more time for gaming. With the new guided design system, you can choose from curated layouts and styling options to build a unique online presence from the ground up, optimized for every device. And with Squarespace's integrated, optimized SEO tools, you'll show up more often to more people. Squarespace doesn't just make things easier for you. Checkout for your customers is made seamless with simple but powerful payment tools that allow you to accept credit cards, PayPal, and Apple Pay, and in eligible countries, offer the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and Clearpay. So whether you're just starting out or looking to expand your existing brand, be sure to visit squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com gamescoop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com gamescoop for 10% off. Welcome back to GameScoop, everybody. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. This is Greg Miller. <laughs> Say something so... Hey, I was smiling as hard as I could. I wanted on the record, I put my feet on the table first, but then just like everything in my career, Colin Moriarty <laughs> copied me immediately following. That is Colin Moriarty, and the last copier is Justin Davis. We have a very casual feet on the table Look at this, he's got trunks hey. for legs. He's, he's, been doing, he's been doing couples yoga. That's what, that, that's what couples yoga is. That's true, like. hot yoga. <laughs> no, not doing I keep saying it's hot because it sounds it's hot. <laughs> it is, it is kind of hot, but it's not the actual hot yoga. You guys my doing friends, like all nudie patootie like? Like, <laughs> you're in your house, you're in your company, you're My home. friends. <laughs> Our friend, Bruno Carrillo, in Ooh. Sao Paulo, Brazil. <laughs> That's good. Is worried about the video game industry. Okay. He says, Hi Damon and IGN editors, guests of today's GameScoop. The recent layoffs at EA made me think something. EA is one of the most powerful and richest gaming companies in the world, and this recent layoffs, plus the CEO one, he means John Richitello, uh -huh. stepping down, shows that things are not good for them. If you think of all the studios that closed last year, huge publishers like Square Enix that are having problems, and the recent need to charge extra for everything like tons of DLC and online passes, is this all the big warning of an imminent collapse in the industry as we know it, or are we, are we already in crisis? Suddenly, for some reason, it looks like making games is not profitable enough to keep companies alive anymore. Do you guys know what is happening and why? So, is the video game industry in crisis? No. Yes. No way. <laughs> Tiebreaker. No, it's not in the crisis. So Yay! Here's the deal. Here's what normally happens on GameScoop. I say my piece, and then Colin sits here, quiet, very like a, like a hibernating bear, and then you say, 
Yeah, I'm gonna tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> and then you fold out some sheet sheet of paper oh, and then like you do. <laughs> so, and so, Let's so, let play so no, no. See, oh, I'm gonna make. Want, I'm gonna you make want him Colin, to go first. I want Colin to go first. All right, okay. I'll go first. Okay. So, I have some statistics here, but the game industry is in flux right now. It's not yes. in crisis at all. A lot of people are like, is this 1982, 1983 again? You have to understand what happened in 1983. What's hap- what happened in 1983 was very specific, right? It was companies that had nothing to do with games and some game companies getting in, making lots of shitty games to make lots of money or whatever. I mean, even Quaker Oats had a gaming division. So th- there was an inundation, a glut of terrible games that were out there and game, you know, game prices uh, didn't collapse along with the quality of games and thus, thus there was a crash and kind of a, a reimagining of what video games would be with Nintendo when, when the NES came out. Uh, well, Famicom first, and then the NES. Um, the Master and, System. And of course, the Sega yeah, Master System. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really not, like, the 1983 crash is really not as complex as people make it out to be. It really is a quality issue. What's happening now is that games are too expensive to make. And so, uh, you know, with everyone kind of competing with, with budgets and things of this nature, um, the budget of games go up and up. And we were talking a lot about Square Enix. He talked about Square Enix, where a game like Sleeping Dogs that sold almost 2 million copies isn't profitable, which is horrifying, but even worse is Tomb Raider, which sold four or five million copies. Three point, three and a half. Yeah, but they're, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, three and a half in the first three weeks. Right, right. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's, it's up almost to, sure. to where they expected it to be, and yet they expected it to be like somewhere in the five to six million range in the first month, and therefore isn't profitable. Now, that's a, that's a budgetary issue. That's not a game's not doing well issue. If a game sells, you know, we, Greg and I talk about it all the time, if Sony had a game that sold, because they don't have many of them that sell this well, that sold four or five million copies, they'd be ecstatic. To yeah. get a game to sell like that, Sid got a worse engine sell. Well, the rumor is like three hundred and thirty thousand copies. Sure, but they're not selling to. They'd be ecstatic because they're only selling on one platform instead of two or three. Yeah, but they, they only have like really two games this generation that have sold that much. Yeah. Period. God of War three and Gran Turismo five. Sure, but they're that's selling it. to less than half as many people. Sure. Okay. But that's all. But the number is much much lower. Yeah. It, it's. It, but let me let me shut pro- up. You said you. Oh okay. yeah. <laughs> but let me break out my stats. <laughs> now here's here's the interesting thing that I think is that. The curve is actually up in terms of console sales, in terms of hardware sales. And that's a good sign, not only for this generation, but for next generation. And I, I just grabbed some numbers that, that I thought were interesting. NES and Master System sold 71.9 million units, right? What, combined? Combined. SNES and Genesis sold 89.1 million units. N64, Saturn, and PlayStation, 144.8 million. Saturday PlayStation 2, GameCube, and Xbox, 200 million. 360, PlayStation 3, and Wii, 252 million. Going up like this. Not to mention the fact that 360 and PS3 are both selling a hundred or, or, or a couple hundred thousand each every month in the United States alone, seven and eight years after they came out. The Wii U is obviously doing abysmally, but we can't extrapolate information from that based on next generation uh, next generation consoles until the PS4 and this and the 720 come out. So I guess what I'm saying is that hardware is selling, games are selling, but the budgets are what the are, are, is the core of the problem right now, in my opinion. Yeah, it's now, a gigantic be, problem. But people need to be more realistic. It, it, the, the industry's not crashing. The industry's not not in trouble. Everything's going to readjust. The the uh, canary in the coal costs- mine is THQ. By the way, What's that? the canary in the coal mine yeah. is THQ. But that's what it costs to make a game these days. Like no, you it have doesn't. To have it doesn't. Voice acting and it motion capture, cost that. and yeah. you know the even the art that. assets are like a tremendous investment. It that absolutely you have to make. doesn't have to cost that much. Need an army of artists to like make you know make the environments that are in a modern game these Let days. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> All right. Okay. If it really needed to cost that much money, right? We have uh-huh. a student Naughty Dog, right? Naughty mm-hmm. Dog makes a game every two years. Their games sell 
two to three million copies each. Uncharted 3 is probably the best selling of the Uncharted games, but these are games that sell a few million copies. Probably would sell much more than that. These games are profitable. Naughty Dog is considered the crown jewel of Sony's studio. These games have unparalleled production values, unparalleled voice acting, unparalleled sure. graphics. Those games sell two to three million copies and are profitable. So a game doesn't need to cost that much to, to, you know, to, to be profitable, period. I, I, I think would, with Tomb Raider, I think that marketing budget was... Way was very bloated. It went the home the home front way of we're gonna get it everywhere yeah, in front of Twitter everyone. Twitter is to everywhere, and that copies. I, I think that was a large. Sure. I mean, I think I think a company. I'm gonna hibernate now. Okay. <laughs> I think a company like Naughty Dog is the exception, not the rule. I think it's I think the AAA games business is in big trouble. All right, so lay it on us. Lay on your argument now. So I am not as prepared as Colin Moriarty. I'm gonna let you know right <laughs> oh. now. I don't have some secret statistical you know thing that I'm gonna. Mr. Pull Weatherby out. talking about <laughs> jugheads up here. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty true. I mean, I think you know the talk that I had at GDC. I had lots of meetings, um, mostly with mobile game developers. So maybe yeah. they're not you know super unbiased when it comes to talking about the console space. You have a, the thing that strikes me is you have a game like Tomb Raider that they did, you know, Tomb Raider or Sleeping Dogs or, you know, lots of these games that underperformed. These are, these are games that did everything right. So critics like the game a lot. Gamers like the game a lot. You know, they were marketed well. Tomb Raider had a few, you know, sort of weird pieces of press. But sure, generally, sure. like, that marketing campaign was impeccable. Everything from top to bottom was impeccable. And the game sold pretty well. And it's losing a tremendous amount of money. Like, when that's happening, there should be fucking sirens going off in your head. That's when the klaxons start sounding, where it's like, <laughs> you did everything right, and your game still lost money. That, to me, is a sign that the market is going away. Like, that that's market a, is not there To anymore. me, that's a sign of stupid people. I think, think of the, for people out there, think of the games industry as the ocean. The ocean isn't going anywhere, but the tides roll in, and it looks awesome, and then they recede and come back, and back and forth like this. It's always ebbing like and what? flowing. Like this, like the, a lot of people don't know what the ocean is. They live in Iowa. They're like, ah. But uh, we know, we know what the ocean is. In Iowa. <laughs> you go to Florida, you're freaking out. No, but uh, yeah, you were talking about like that. Sirens should be going off for the people who made that game and made the marketing budget and totally overestimated what the video game market it's is. It's like you can't. So it's like you have an old established brand like Tomb Raider. It loses money. You make a new IP like Sleeping Dogs. It loses money. You know, people are tired of the existing franchises like Gears of War and God of War. They lose money. Like, you can't win. No, and you Clash can't. of Clans. And Clash of Clans makes a million dollars a day. I think it's more than that. I think it's more like two and a half million dollars a day. Supercell, the developer of Clash of Clans. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're missing, I think, an important piece of context, though. And I'm not saying you're wrong in the sense that, like, the game... See, I look at the industry as it's, it's a it's a whole, right? And, sure. like, the the... Handheld market in terms of iOS and Android and all that stuff is obviously doing really well. There are a million games out there no one gives a shit about, no one ever heard of, people lose money, those studios close down, you never hear about that. Now, a, a company, so that's, that's like one piece of the puzzle. Another thing with Square Enix, specifically about Square Enix, is that it's not clear if the numbers for Crystal Dynamics and Tomb Raider or United Front Games and Sleeping Dogs was specifically pertaining to those games. That was what Square Enix, a publicly traded company, expected to make on those games. So we don't know if those games were actually profitable or not. That's unclear. And Square Enix makes awful decisions with its own properties that put it in the red, and then these games are expected the to thing. bring it back in the black. So these are important pieces of context that we're missing that we don't know. We're not in the shareholders' meetings. We're not in the board meetings with Square Enix. The, <clears throat> excuse me, that company's in a lot of trouble. Like, see, Square Enix is in a lot of who's, trouble. Who's I think not, these like, examples are examples of mismanagement. Right, exactly. Like, we're talking you know, about specific companies. Huh? Exactly. Like, like, look at Activision. Not, Activision's doing fine. I mean, sort of, but like, you know, I feel like people have Call of Duty fatigue. You know, they burnt, they ran music games into the ground real quick. They ran Tony Hawk into the ground. They have World of Warcraft and they have Call of Duty and they have Skylanders. Like, that's I mean, Activision. How, how, much, 
How many, sure. how many success, phenomenally successful franchises does a company need? Yeah, yeah, all they need is one of those. That's true. I mean, and understand too that when Prototype 2 came out and they shut, they shut that studio down, that game was probably actually profitable. They're, the Activision is such, uh, such uh, a company that studies the numbers that, that's actually really smart, whether you, know, you disparage them, whether or not people like them or not, that they, they got rid of that franchise and that, com that developer because they were like, well, you're not making enough money. These guys aren't stupid over there. See, that's the difference between, and I'm not saying the people necessarily running Square Enix are stupid, but that's the difference between a company with, with some foresight yeah. and a company that makes bad Final Fantasy games that no one wants and then has these Western developers and Western publishers. Deus Ex is another great example mm -hmm. of a game that did actually really well that is saving them from the red that their own their own uh, their own games are making them. The Square Enix situation in particular is a very complicated issue, just like the THQ issue was, because you know Volition and Saints Row was a massively popular and massively profitable game, except for the fact that U Draw was actually the reason that THQ started to tank. Yeah. So it didn't matter how well something else did if if, if everything else wasn't going but right. But it's like if you can have one bad decision and then it blows up your whole company, that means you're in a very precarious position no, to begin with. There's like, no doubt about that, but we can't extrapolate that to the like, entire industry. What happens to Activision? Like World of Warcraft subs are dipping. You know what happens to Activision if Call of Duty just people are like, ah, we're kind of over it. Well, they figure something else out. I mean, maybe, but they're also a company like, that's why like a, be in that business? Like, you, that's a bad business. Like, it's a dangerous, well, like, it's a roll of the dice had, every single time you make a $50 million game. They like, had the most popular video game in the world for 10 years running. I think they did okay. Like, Activision's you're doing talking great. about yeah, a I'm future not, I'm not arguing that Activision's not doing great, but again, like, you can point to a couple companies and say, yeah, the biggest company in well, video games is making a lot it of money. It's like, well, no shit. And, and EA, and EA is struggling recently. But again, I think I think it's because of mismanagement. Not like there, like the idea of yeah. I mean, some AAA games are going to continue to be fine. You know, Grand Theft Auto is going to sell you yeah. know however many copies it sells, yeah. twelve million copies. But like More anything below that AAA, there is not going to be A games anymore. Like that's done. Those days are over. And I now think. there's a huge pool of amazing you know independent. Uh, games, yeah. you know, small indie games. There's there's interesting games released on iOS every single That's day. True. I guess that means it depends on what we talk about. Like I kickstart a lot of stuff, a lot of really interesting, weird, experimental games. And I hear, you know, I met with, man, how many developers did I meet with at GDC? Over 30 that are making mobile games over and over and over again. They're like, yeah, I used to work for Volition, I used to work for whoever. You know, I would work on like cave textures for like two years and the game would come out like it wasn't fulfilling me creatively. Yeah, yeah. And now they're in charge of their own destiny making mobile games. Um, I think that's cool. I that's think it's very healthy. That's cool, like, that's that's cool the for industry, them professionally. That's, that's cool of... for me. Like that's what I'm into as a gamer. But if you're into really big experiences, I, I don't think there's going to be that many of them. I mean, I think there are. I mean, that, as Colin, you know, will. Uh, I think you'll agree with me on this. There is a demand for big AAA experiences. Yeah. Our our society is built on supply and demand. So. I don't think there's enough demand to meet the number of them that are released. But right that's now. why you just have to set your goals. People yeah. are setting the goalposts too far away, and that's then it, they yeah. fall. And that's why the companies are in trouble. <laughs> you could have saved Square Enix so much trouble. Will Tomb Raider sell six million copies in a month? Nope. No, <laughs> no way. No, I mean I could have told you them like, that. A lot of way, a lot of things you're talking about. I feel like you're talking about it in a light switch way, right? And the fact that well, what if the Call of Duty fatigue sets and it doesn't sell? It won't be. It goes from the most popular game to not being sold at all. There's decreases. Just like there needs to be a ramp up in increases. Sure. You can't come out of hibernation with Tomb Raider and be like, we're putting all the money into marketing. People love Lara Croft. It's going to be great. No, they should have. If they were worried about numbers and how this is, start small, have a huge hit, build up a little bit. More, build up a little bit more. It's like Uncharted, right? But it's Uncharted so three expensive has to make those games. Subway and all this other crap. I know it but, is expensive, but, but just keep your just keep your costs in check. Yeah. It's like all budget. How, it's all SimCity. How many big AAA movies are released a year? Like big tentpole summer movies. Lots of them. 
Yeah, and like, but like, there's a lot, but like, not that like you can count I mean, them. Like, we could name them all, but there's so many like big a, bet games. There's way too many big bet games. I think. I, I think they're pretty similar. I, you know, I think the, uh, you know, as games become more and more cinematic, I think the industry will look a lot like the movie industry, where there's a healthy uh, release schedule of blockbuster titles and smaller independent films. I mean, they have small budgets and they don't make as much as the box office, yeah. but it's okay because they didn't cost that much to make. I agree, but there, my point is that there's not, I agree that the movie, the games industry is going to look more like the movie industry, but I don't see, I don't see there being that many big blockbuster movies every year. Like each company has like a couple and that's it, to, that's their bets. We're going like, you're, you're, to talk about that in a second. Uh, we're going to see you're well, wrong. I just, I don't know, I just don't think we're looking at it the right way. I mean, the numbers are very clear in terms of hardware. Gaming is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and in more homes and, no and more homes. no one's making any money. No, that's, that's not, not true. true. That's not true. I mean, that's simply not true. The, the, the fact is, is that, and I think it's a little bit hypocritical to say like, well, yes, yeah, Sony shut down Sony Liverpool and Big Big and all these and, and you know, THQ's, you know, shitting the bed. How many literally thousands of iOS developers have just disappeared out of nowhere because no one cares about their games? It is the same thing. And when I went, when I went to, it's just on a smaller scale because the investment is smaller. Mm -hmm. It's really the same principle. And when I went to GDC and I was at, you know, a few panels, I went to a Vita panel in particular and the interesting thing I was, they were talking about is, yeah, Vita might have sold 5 million units. It's not doing very well. These guys are making lots of money on the Vita. Because there is there is a dedicated they're like we can make much more money putting Guacamelee on Vita than we can put Guacamelee on iOS because not only can it, is it unplayable on iOS and those games will always be unplayable on a touchscreen but that we have a more dedicated fan base that will play more for their games and they're looking for content and it's not saturated. Yeah. Their problem is the exact opposite that even though there's not a lot of handhelds out there that there's not a lot of games and so they're able to make more money because of the saturation point that will always be iOS's Achilles heel until they figure that out. And for every success story for every you know, I don't even know any of these, really a Rovio. lot of these games. Yeah, Rovio or all these other studios, you know, for every success story, there are a thousand studios that just disappear. And you read about, and you read about them all the time. And when I say a thousand, I'm, I'm being pretty literal because these guys are making games yeah. in their, in their, their bedrooms or in their houses. Just a guy, like, I, I want to make iOS games. Yeah, and then he puts it out and no one buys it and that's the end of that. But you don't hear those kinds of stories. I think it's because there's more monetary investment. I think Justin's right in the sense that there's a lot of, it's a situation, it's, it's in flux. And I, but I, I, I'm distressed by the fact that people think hardware you know, the consoles are dying specifically based on Wii U's performance, which I, I really think is like what a lot of people are kind of pulling out the last few months, that Wii U is tanking. But we'll, we'll really know what, what Justin's saying is true or not in about a year or so. If the, if the PS4 and the, and the 720 don't each sell extraordinarily well when they come out, which is entirely possible, then we'll know that, that, that gaming as we know it is in decline and things are shifting. But people are always going to want to play games. Yeah, I do want to say, you know, I stand by my statements, but the caveat would be, like, we haven't seen a console generation go on this long. So it's like, yeah. you know, that could be a big yeah. part of why things look the way that they look today. And maybe, you know, 12 months from now, things will look very different. But I'm sorry, I know you probably want to move on, but I was just going to say, too, like, that's true, for, that's bad for publishers, but it's actually really good for hardware manufacturers because PS3 and Xbox uh, 360 are nothing but profit right now. And that would that like they're selling hundreds of thousands of these a month just to people that still don't have them yeah. with install bases of like 77 million PlayStation 3s already out there. That's getting close to PS1 numbers. PS1's considered a, a huge success. Uh, you know, there's there's a great software attach rate on PlayStation and Xbox. Um, the reason I think God of War Ascension and and uh, and Gears of War Judgment didn't do well are because these are two games that aren't numerical sequels. Uh, yeah, they're stopgaps. Yeah, you know, they're a symptom of the generation going right. on so long. Even though God of War Ascension sold a third as much as God of War 3, you know, three years ago in the same period of time, it's because it's an online multiplayer game. Not, you know, people are kind of waiting. 
I think we just don't have all the information yet, too, to kind of like put the R, you know, the RIP fucking tombstone, uh, you know, yeah. in the ground yeah, the, for for console gaming. You know, most of us, the three of us, seventy five percent of us seem to agree that crisis is maybe a little uh, uh, exaggerated. Uh, that maybe the industry is in flux. It's definitely changing, but a lot. I, me and I think you guys will agree that we still see a lot of health. In the industry, yeah, we just see. I mean, Tomb Raider is not the only like great game that sold well that then the company went bankrupt. Like, there's lots of examples over the last twelve. God, months. I mean, like, THQ is a great example. Like yeah. I said, with Saints Row and Homefront, which was another profitable game. That's true. But bad decisions, like Dame was saying, doomed that company no matter how well those games did. Yeah. And that's the troubling part of it. And I really just think that we ha- we we need more evidence. But I also I, I'm telling you, man, like the the hardware is still selling. People still want these games, and publishers and especially developers still need to figure out new ways to make. Money, and that's why he was kind of alluding to in his in his in his letter there, where it's mm-hmm. like online passes are not so they really can make money; they're so to stop used game sales. Yeah. But okay. and and the yeah. microtransactions in the games like Dead Space Three actually did extraordinarily well, even though everyone's complaining about them. So that was a vocal minority. Yeah, and really, those do. those yeah. things actually sold and did really well with very little overhead. So they'll figure out yeah. new ways. It's right that that's another ebb and flow of the industry, right? That you hire people as you ramp up to launch a game, you launch the game, and you lay them off. Like people know that, and they get turnover. Now, granted, I know yeah. with Lucas Arts and blah 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 blah. Yeah. The companies that are getting wiped out, different story, but. Every time you hear that so-and-so developer is laid off X percent, it's not that they're going away. It's that their project's done. Now they need to get into pre-production on the next thing. Okay. Now it's time for this segment's surprise topic. Summer movie preview. <laughs> oh! We've got the whole issue. We have the, we have the list here. Let's, I, let's, let's go through. Let me see the Superman stuff. I haven't seen the Superman well, stuff. Well, let's look. Maybe yeah. I'll read it after Game Scoop. Yeah. No. no. We're going to go through the no. big, <laughs> big releases of the summer, and we'll give it a yay or a nay or a scoop or no scoop or okay, something. Okay, scoop or no scoop. Obviously, we can start with the first Two one. Two scoops. That, the new trailer for Man of Steel is out recently. You're, you're excited about this yeah, one. Yeah, scoop. Have you noticed? A little, this is a still from the trailer here. What's Superman wearing? On his shirt there. He's wearing, yes, he's in the Kansas Jayhawks. That's where it's, it's Smallville, Kansas. I thought, the, I thought the asteroid crashed in Missouri. <laughs> no, you made up that. Yeah, that's oh. what you made up. Here's something I proposed to the GameScoop audience that I find interesting. At no point have we seen or heard anything about bespectacled Clark Kent being, working at the Daily journalist, Planet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder that. if that's the final shot. Apparently going they're to the like Planet, pushing not, they might not even call him Superman in the movie, right? In the trailer, they show that she's like, wait, well, why don't we call you... She doesn't even say it, right? So well, yeah, but know. I think that's some clever editing. I'm pr- he'll be Maybe. Superman, I think, in the, in the okay. movie. Great Gatsby. No, yeah. no, yeah. thanks. Don't know about that one. Uh, Iron Man yeah. 3 yeah. is coming out very soon. Scoop. Yeah, you're into that one? Yeah. I don't know, I'm kind of... I, I didn't like Iron Man 2, but Avengers yeah. is great. Well, yeah, but it's not the same. It's not Joss Whedon. I know, Iron I'm aware. I'm not. It is the guy who wrote Lethal Weapon and Monster Squad. Oh, oh Monster so Squad, yeah. That going for it. Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah, love yeah. the first one. I'd say big yeah. B- like Benedict Benedict Cumberbatch a lot. Yeah. Ooh, Sherlock. I don't know who that is. Sherlock, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Did you say yes got... or no to Star Trek? Uh, I don't really care about any of these movies. Okay. Yeah. Can I just say that Benedict... <laughs> I know Red Dawn 2 comes out. He just gets up, yanks the mic, Benedict Cumberbatch is probably the coolest name. Yeah, That's a really cool name. The Hangover Part 3 is coming. No. no. We, don't need, we don't need that. Even though I did, see, I did eventually see on cable Hangover 2, and it was good. No, I laughed. It's I not. Fun. Really? I had fun. It was a dumb uh, movie. What did you expect? I mean, I wasn't going in expecting Citizen Kane. Fast, fast and Furious. Six. Yes. 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 I've never yes. seen the Fast and Furious. I can get down with that. Are we oh, having that marathon? We are going to fix gonna, that. Yeah, we're going to have a marathon of all. We're doing that. There's apparently a comedy called The Heat with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. Absolutely not. No. Stop. Sandra Bullock is the worst. Oh, the worst? Melissa? Yeah, she's the worst. Everybody likes wow. Melissa? Yeah, like her. Yeah. So just give her her own movie. Why do, do you hate Sandra Bullock so much? She's not Wildcat Speed, then she's wearing the jacket, and that's when he finds out that he's got the camera in the thing. He's calling her Wildcat. White House Down coming from Roland Emmerich. 
Sounds don't good. About apparently they, yeah. Apparently they terrorists take over the White House. And what was the other? Why would they take over the White Olympus House? Olympus has fallen. Olympus has fallen. Yeah, yeah, why would they take over? They're, they're very similar movies. Why would they? Uh, see that? That doesn't make any sense. Will Smith has After Earth. Yeah, with yeah. his yeah. son. With his son. Got that Gary Whitta. Gary Whitta wrote yeah, that. M. Night Shyamalan. Jaden nice. Smith. Who was in the Karate Kid? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, it's in that Shyamalan. And Gary Wood. I love he does Gary not Wood. make. You love him? The first no, four movies he did were awesome. He didn't write this one. Like he's just okay. directing it. Dude, okay. but Gary like, Wood. but Sixth Sense and and Signs, yeah, and The Village, fun. and Unbreakable. Those are awesome. Unbreakable. I, love those I like the old one. Village. I, I like the old one. one. I wasn't. Um, what about Airbender though? Nope. I don't, I don't Can't even see get it. behind that. Of course. What's the wind one with Marky Mark? Remember Oh, it's happening. The happening. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> a sequel to what's happening. <laughs> this is the end. Is obviously going to be the funniest. You guys oh, don't even know. No, no, yeah, I do. The one Seth Rogen, uh, James Franco, yeah. Jonah Hill, Jamie McBride, all those it's guys. Gonna be great. God, it looks so, so funny. World War Z with Brad Pitt. Yes. That movie was in hell for a while. That's right? what I said. Like oh, they, yeah. I heard uh, the the rumors. I mean, they're not like real rumors, but just like Entertainment Weekly rumors were that they had to do a ton of reshoots. Like they reshot like a third of the movie to change the ending all around. It was in flux and it was not going to come out. And there's all yeah, this I drama. Don't I don't know about. I was like, not it crazy. Looks, about I'm still excited. For it. I know. I'm very like the trailers and everything looks really cool, but I'm. I'm skeptical. I don't like the way the book was written, so it kind of turns yeah, out I love the book. Uh, Joss Whedon has much to do about nothing. No, he's no, like much to do about nothing. Like yeah, he has his own like stylish take on it with Nathan Fillion. Cool. In there too. You don't like Joss Whedon? That could be cool. I like him fine. That's not enough to get me to go see it. <laughs> Monsters University. That'll be awesome. Yeah. What's, what's your problem? I'll see it on DVD or digital. You're gonna see it on DVD? <laughs> <laughs> when is the last time you saw anything on DVD? <laughs> uh, there's a Lone Ranger with Johnny Depp as nope. Tonto. No, nope. I don't think. I don't think so. I don't think I'll be seeing them. Will Johnny it, Depp play the same character he plays in every yeah. single movie that he's in? Yeah, he will. Yeah, he'll be doing that one. There's Pacific Rim. I'm really excited for Pacific Rim. Yeah, maybe it's I didn't like the MotorStorm game, so I don't see why this would be any different. <laughs> it's not going to be yeah, the same Pacific thing. Rim looks so good. Uh, PlayStation there's, jokes. There's Wolverine in July. Yeah. So I hope Wolverine's good. Yeah, it's X-Men, right? yeah Wolverine's X-Men Origin just sucks, so we'll see how he this He finally, he has blood on his claws. Yeah. yeah. Is that based on the Raven game? And <laughs> I yeah. hope. And it's set in Japan, and Japan is the best. Japan is the opposite of Sandra Bullock, basically. <laughs> oh, the Smurfs 2. There's no. a cartoon called Turbo with a snail. No. Uh, let's see here. Oh, there's Red 2. Remember that movie Red with all the old like CIA agents? John Bruce Malkovich, Willis and John Malkovich. Bruce They're making it Red 2. Isn't that crazy? Really? Yeah. Equalitis. Now there's Elysium. Uh, this is the yeah. District 9 guy. Oh, man. It's you see be that so trailer? Good. Oh, the trailer is trailer. incredible, yeah. and District 9 was so good. Yeah. Neil, he still wants to make the Halo movie. Crazy amount of demon looks I don't think I saw District 9. Was that like kind of the alien take on like the apartheid or whatever? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's really, I'll really good. I want it to. I love it. Okay. Um, I like that. There's something called The Mortal Instruments. I think it's based on a young adult <laughs> book. You gotta stop making these young adult books into movies. They make money, though. Isn't no. that the sequel to Just the... That's the one it. with the talking polar bear, right? Or is that a I different one? No. There are a lot of movies coming out this summer. I heard they were that's making... That's what I'm talking about. Speaking that's of... That's like, you know, Justin was just saying, oh, there aren't many, many blockbusters What was movies. the movie you just that's mentioned true. that was the There's young adult? There's a million of them. <laughs> what? What, the, what was the young adult? Uh, uh, the Immortal Instruments. Oh, okay. I heard that they're making The Giver into a, a movie. Yeah. Which is like... See, there's another Percy Jackson. Awesome. Wake Percy me when Jackson. it's The Receiver. Terrible, terrible. For 35-year-old dudes. I think that's, that's, no, the, yeah. that's, that's, that's the demographic you want to go 35 for. 35-year-old dudes are too tired to go out and see movies. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm going to see a movie on Friday. Uh, Kick-Ass 2 is coming. Yeah. It's going to be really good. Maybe. It's gonna really, no, it's going to be good. You're such a hater. I'm not a hater. I've said I love lots of things I will see maybe... most of the big ones. Maybe... Just roll it up, hit Two of those. <laughs> Which ones? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Just any two of them. Okay. Wow. No, I, I don't they're know. really trying hard on the the one the about the White House. Here, huh? no, what do you Man think? of Steel. Superman gets all hot and modern. 
Jesus. All right. We're pretty good. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to IGN Games Group. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. I'm joined now by Scott Lowe, Bobby Amos, and Anthony Gallegos, all three Call of Duty fans, which is appropriate because today we're talking about Call of Duty Ghosts, which was finally announced. We knew it was coming. There were lots of leaks, but today Activision made the official announcement, gave us a live-action teaser trailer, and information like it's coming this year on November 5th, coming to Xbox 360, PS3, PC, and next-gen consoles. No mention of the Wii yet. Uh, I want to get your first reactions. Why don't we start with you, Scott? Uh, you know, obviously we heard so much about this game, you know, way before it actually got announced formally. And, you know, the actual teaser trailer, you know, it's live action, so it's not gameplay, which is, of course, always disappointing for fans of the franchise. But as live action trailers go, you know, it was actually pretty effective. Like, it, uh, you know, dropped a number of Easter eggs about, you know, the game and the plot and, 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 Somehow they're like how they're kind of introducing this new sub brand within the Call of Duty franchise, um, and, and I liked it a lot. It was like a, a minute and a half, and you know, obviously we're hungry for more. But uh, as it turns out, it's not coming until the Xbox oh, yeah. event, uh, which is May twenty first. Uh, yeah. What were some of those Easter eggs that you mentioned? Uh, so I watched the trailer. As I'm not a big Call of Duty fan, so when I watched it, it's so like, well, here's a bunch of warriors from different cultures, and then. Uh, there are the ghosts. <laughs> yeah. Coming November 5th. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, it I guess it was less of like Easter eggs and more kind of raised questions about how it ties into this, you know, kind of the existing franchise and what they're doing with the new sub-brand because, you know, the press release and all of the uh, formal acknowledgement of it really kind of drove the point that this is a whole new franchise. It's like mm -hmm. it's not, you know, this, it's not the char same characters, it's not the same story, but, you know, clearly with the you know, presence of the ghost mask, like, you know, that's, uh, you know, Modern Warfare um, brand kind of character and, like, themes coming into this new uh, kind of sub-franchise. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they tie back into that. I have a number of theories that I'm, you know, I'm kicking around the head, but, you know, obviously that's, like, highly speculative at this point. Yeah. What do you think, Bobby? You know what? Just like Scott said, it was a pretty good teaser trailer and everything, but I'm the guy that plays multiplayer, so yeah, I right. really want to see some gameplay. I was disappointed that I didn't get a chance to see that. But like you say, just seeing the live action trailer and just putting all the things together, you're just like, okay, starting to get a little excited, but just got to wait to see more from that. But overall, I was happy just that it's announced now, finally. Feel the same way, Anthony? They're fighting in the trailer. Well, they're, they, when it shows all the characters, it's always in the backdrop of like this destroyed city, like mm -hmm. a Terminator-looking city. So my dream for this game is that <laughs> they have enough, like, basically guts to make a game where it's an occupied America thing where you're but not like a home front where it was like a very just straight up shooting, you knew who your bad guys are. I want it to be like a game where you're playing as basically like a terrorist, a homegrown terrorist. Basically, they call you terrorist, but you're basically playing as... That would as, be, okay. But, but I'm saying, but you, they call you terrorist, but you're playing yeah. as a freedom fighter. Okay. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, like the, they would, the, 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 the material they'd put out, like whoever's occupying this country, you know, whether yeah. it's like a fallen America or something like that. They're yeah. calling you terrorists, but you're, you're basically fighting for freedom, which is why people know when they see the ghosts, like you're the good guys. You're yeah. the ones who are fighting for us, which kind of flips the whole way that the world is right now on its head, you know? But I mean, who gets called bad things is on the eye of who's doing the calling, sure. right? So it'd be really cool if like they took that idea of these ghosts and that's why they're wearing the mask. That's why they're hiding because 
you know, it's an occupied country and they have to. Yeah. So there were like subtle hints too, like you know, in the in the narrative where the narrator is talking about like the what masks are used for throughout like kind of history with these, you know, to, to like hide your identity or like rally, like kind of unify like a armed force of some variety or get support from you know the public, like the the just the choice in terms of like emphasis in, in, in with regards to this mask and like the thing they kind of zoom in on, you know, what he's saying as he's doing that, like it almost sort of has this vibe like. These aren't, you know, just guys wearing masks. These are like kind of like a, a Foxian like kind of uh, faction, you know, trying to get the support. They're kind of like rebels or like militia or insurgents, you know, Basically, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the vibe I got from it. And if you actually think like, think back into the events of Modern Warfare Three, which is like, you know, World War Three has happened. You know, it's you know, there's it's not this, necessarily going good for us. <laughs> yeah, and you know we were invaded. The you know this, the country is There's spoilers. Well, maybe you need to play it. <laughs> it's been two games now. So, um, but you know it's like um, you know so at the end of Modern Warfare Three. You know the war is over, but you know the lines are still being redrawn. Russia had you know fully invaded New York and like much of the country. So like you're looking at like if this maybe it's not the same story, maybe it's not the same characters, but if it's the same universe, these you know soldiers could be part of like an, a still occupied part of the United States where like borders are, and you know nations are still being redrawn because you know obviously that's a huge conflict. So I mean I you know just throwing out there as like a wild bet speculation, but I I, I feel like that's what they're really driving for. Mm. Um, and it's just the vibes that it gave off yeah. to me. It'd be really cool for them to deal with themes like people that like go along with it. Uh, you know, the people that just are like, sure, invading force, we're with you now, we're following you, we're going to join like the local police. And there's like the idea of like, you're shooting people who used to be Americans and stuff. There's a lot of interesting themes they could do that, that Call of Duty doesn't necessarily go. And I think that would be really cool new territory. Also, they're always showing that dog in the background with those dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, I love the idea if they do a Call of Duty where it's not like a dogs aren't just like a multiplayer device. That's cool if they are, but like the idea of like maybe having like a constant companion or something like that. That would be really cool. Like, yeah. I just see that in all these ideas of what I'd like to see in a Call of Duty game start coming ahead, but it's all speculative. Yeah. It's interesting you guys seem concerned with the, the single player story, but like Bobby was saying, you know, he's most, mostly interested mm -hmm. in multiplayer. I think the vast majority of people, I mean, like, the, the campaigns are fairly short, right? And then people play multiplayer for a year until the next game comes out. So it's interesting, like, how do you get, pe how do you get the vast audience of Call of Duty players out there excited for a game when you're not showing anything about the multiplayer? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, there, there's a few things we do know that can get people excited for the multiplayer. I mean, this is a, they did say this is a whole new engine, so it's not, mm -hmm. you know, the same engine they've been using for the last, like, you know, 10 years or whatever it's been. Like, it's been a long time since, the, and, they, and they've done great things with the engines. Yeah. Like, you know, like, Black Ops 2 looks incredible considering it's built on what is essentially a framework from, like, 2005, like, you know, that's, yeah. um, or earlier. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see what they do with that, and I think that's going to get people excited for multiplayer because obviously, um, you know, better graphics, you know, potentially re resolving a lot of like some of the technical issues maybe some of the community has had, um, and and of course just the concept of really kind of progressing forward. But there's also like rumors. I, I don't know if you caught up on this, Bobby, but like you know there was like there was like the original YouTuber link where he was, or leak rather where he was saying that like you know there's going to be new movement mechanics where you can roll around or peek out the sides and sides like you know moving beyond simply the run and gun combat of the current franchise like i think um you know as far as like getting people excited now though before anything's official like i mean that's that's the tough part yeah and we've heard like rumors that both the next gen consoles are going to have like share functionality for video stuff and whatnot mm -hmm. like i have to imagine that that's all planned into call of duty like continuing to share your own videos and stuff yeah, being able to shoutcast 
And I and just like the way that Black Ops 2 has gone with the esports initiative, I have to imagine that you know it's easy to assume that this one will definitely take that and grow it even more. Yeah, taking advantage of what those. Bobby, you do. Yeah, you call it. That's what I'm gonna say. So being a multiplayer, you know, that's what I'm invested in. You're more excited about that type of stuff. So you see the trailer. It's like okay, that's cool, but feed me the stuff that I want. Whereas as Scott was saying, a new engine for the next generation, which that's what we've been waiting for. It's one of the mm. things outside the technical issues that we've always complained about. But seeing that new engine and then building upon it and adding new things to that, that's when you start getting excited. And then for the podcast and sharing the videos, you want to see where can you take that on the next platform. And that, all that stuff is what gets me excited because I do do the commentary. So it's like, how can I you know, expand upon what I'm doing already with Black Ops 2 on the Xbox 360 where as with the next console, what is there for me to do? How can I make things better? Mm. I wonder if that November 5th release date tells us anything about when, like, will that be before the new console's around? Just after? Yeah, I mean, that's that's been kind of the question, is because, you know, Watch Dogs was just dated, and it's, like, you know, mid-November as well. 19th, and, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that does raise the question. I mean, there, there's, you know, obviously there's going to be continued first, you know, current-gen support for these right. games. Like, games are being developed for both, you know, systems, or, you know, uh, you know both generations of systems. So, you know... We could interpret that as yes, those next gen consoles will be you know out before then or at least at that time. But you know who knows? I mean, if you think about it, Call of Duty Two was a launch title for Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. If I if I'm not it mistaken, was. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it would be you know pretty kind of ceremonial and, and kind of like uh, symbolic for Call of Duty Ghosts to and be. And especially with how much they've like grown together. Like I could easily even see Call of Duty there being a Call of Duty Ghost launch Xbox or something like that combined, just because sure. Xbox and and Activision yeah, with the Call of Duty franchise, they are very much in bed together. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it may be a multi-platform game, but that's not how it gets treated, at least publicly. Yeah. Even all the commercials usually end with an Xbox-like tag. So, yeah. Uh, the press release that Activision sent out today said that Call of Duty Ghosts redefines the series for the next gen. The big question I want to ask you guys is: Call of Duty has been the biggest franchise this entire generation. Can it carry that momentum into the next generation? I at think least for a year. <laughs> I, I feel <laughs> like one year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it, it can't really be stopped at that at this point. Like yeah. it's 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 reached this point where it's it's not just a gamers franchise. It's sure. like it's so cultural at this point. Like you, you, it's in pop culture. Like people are referencing it in movies. It was like the A Team or something. One of the characters is like, "Oh, this is just like Call of Duty," and you see that stuff all the time now. And the like, fact that they do gameplay reveals and stuff at, in the middle of like NBA playoffs and stuff should tell you something that mm -hmm. it's not. Just for your average person that goes home and all they do is play games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it like of course, uh, you know, there's no exception to that. There are exceptions to that rule. Like, you know, things that big can fail, but I mean, it would take a lot for for to to not dominate this next console cycle. But you know, then again, we there's so much we don't know. We don't know what games are kind of waiting the wings. We don't know what Respawn is doing. Former Infinity Ward sure. guys, uh, see what their big game's going to be. So yeah. I mean, like, it, you got, it's going to be going up against stuff like uh, Destiny, right? Yeah, from Bungie. Yeah. At Destiny, we got Battlefield 4. You know, the shooter sure. franchises are, are definitely you know, racking up for this uh, new console cycle. So it's anyone's game. What do you think, Bobby? You think they'll still I, be playing I, Call of Duty see, in five years? I, uh, I, guess, I guess I won't be biased because I'm such a big Call of Duty fan. I just think you just can't stop this. No matter how much uh, people are going, all the naysayers going to continue to hate on the game. Sure. If they come out and they show some new multiplayer footage and just blow everybody away with what the possibilities can be of this next gen or just the game in general, I think it's just going to just build more momentum and you're going to win over some people and it's going to go, okay, yeah. let's, let's keep riding this horse. It'll be also be interesting because this is like the first project from the reformed kind of mm. Infinity Ward studio. I mean, mm. they 
lost a lot of their talent to uh, you know respond. So this is kind of their big like coming out party. Like they're you know, their, like so either they're going to go all out and and blow us away, or like you know, <laughs> they're gonna people are going to call them into question. Yeah, yeah, call them into question. But I mean, I hopefully it's it's the the former and not the latter. But I mean. That, I think that's the bigger kind of like wait and see thing. I, I, I don't doubt that the Call of Duty franchise will prevail, but whether this game in particular will be as popular yeah. will be interesting. Well, thanks, guys. We expect to get a good look at Call of Duty Ghosts on May 24th. Or, I'm sorry, May 21st at the Microsoft Reveal event. You can watch the whole thing live right here on IGN with pre and post show analysis and very special guests. Stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for lots more Game Scoop right here on IGN. Welcome back to Game Soup. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. This is Greg Miller. Hey! It's Brian Altano. And we welcome back Levi Buchanan. Wow. Hey there. Former IGN editor. Yes. Wireless editor. Retro games editor. Yep. Retrocity. of the Retrocity. Retrocity. Yeah. We missed that show. We missed that show quite a bit. I keep waiting for you guys to bring it back. Uh, keep waiting. Yeah. Keep... Okay then. I don't know about that. Finally, now um, when I bring up a Sega, the Sega Master System, somebody you, will hear I have something to say. I you used so. to have an ally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, really glad Levi could join us today. I think he's going to have uh, some interesting input to our question today. Our question today comes from Pedro... Mm, Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> says, hi, this question is on my mind for too long now, and I would really like to hear your opinion about it. I know there are lots of exceptions, but I have a PS3, and at the moment, I'm just using it as a Blu-ray player because the games in general are boring, even the best rated ones. Like when I'm turning on my old 16-bit consoles too often, then something must be wrong with current games. I mean, playing a game on PS3 is kind of interacting with a movie. It doesn't give me the joy that I have when I'm playing Super Mario World or Revenge of Shinobi mm. or even the good old Contra. While playing an old game requires you to learn the game mechanics, the levels and the bosses, playing a current game is like just watching a story unfold with your help, secured by countless checkpoints that prevent you from doing anything wrong. The thing is, I still remember every single detail and every single level of Contra while I remember just some random cutscenes from the new Tomb Raider. This has to mean something, right? Of course, there are some recent games that I love, like Deus Ex, Human Revolution, and the new Super Mario Bros. games, which still offer that feeling of joy while playing. Anyway, sorry for elaborating this month, but I'd be this much. But I would be very thankful if you guys could give your opinion about this. I feel like I'm the only one. Is Pedro on to something here? Are current games just there's, not as much fun? So there's a lot to unpack there. Yes, as good old right. Days. Um, I think that I, my first question is if if your 16-bit system could play Blu-rays. Would you be watching Blu-rays on that more often? Because I have a feeling he's growing up and he's growing away from games, and that's the problem more than it is. Mm. I'm using my PS3 as a Blu-ray player because these games that he's talking about, they still make them all the time. Like just recently, I've been playing Guacamelee. Yeah. yeah. Right now, Guacamelee could have come out 20 years ago, and it would have fit right in, and mm -hmm. people would have been like, "This game is incredible," and it does that now, where it's it's not you're not watching movies, you're not watching cutscenes. Like that's a very kind of 
pedantic way to sort of boil everything down. I don't think that that's where we are. No, there are games like that, but you're in the right. I think you're in the same vein as me, right? Like the, what Pedro's talking about is the fact that you know he, he. I can remember everything from these old games that I used to play, probably because that was your one game, yeah, right? And that yeah. was the one thing as a kid you you could just sink your time into and do nothing but that. And your parents worried about feeding you and getting you place to place, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're an adult and you have to worry about all these different things. What Blu-rays you're going to buy? Yeah, yeah plus it's <laughs> just so much more media. Now, yeah, right. It's like when you're a kid, you like, I would get games at like Christmas and then maybe one or two other times a year. But like now, it's just like, yeah, yeah. And you had, I mean, when you got those games, you had to love them because it was either that or go outside. <laughs> so you would sit. No, didn't want to. Why that. would you want to do that? Yeah. So you'd sit there and you'd play, you know, Deadly Towers for a hundred hours. And Deadly Towers sucks, but uh, you you had to love it, and it, it became iconic and became part of your childhood. And that's. Part of nostalgia is when we look back at these things now and we go, you know, it's like, oh, well, how come they haven't made a movie like, you know, Gone with the Wind or Casablanca or something? I'm like, well, they make great movies all the time, but those were like the first movies. So forever they're going to be like, there's going to be the picture of the dude from Gone with the Wind with the girl in the movie theater. And we're like, it really iconic, made an impression on you. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. iconic moment in film history and stuff like that. And like, we still have things like that, but it's just, they happen more often now, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, because if these retro games don't exist in a vacuum because there's a lot of history that comes along with them. And he said that he grew up with these games, so he's already bringing a whole bunch of his personal stuff with them. You know, for me, a lot of these retro games I think about have very specific memories tied to them. I can tell you precisely what was happening uh, the first time I played Alex Kidd. I can recreate... Well, just, I mean, sitting there with my friend Chris Bolton, uh, you know, long-time childhood friend. No, no, I was saying a meteor is crashing. But it's a personal thing. You can sure. recreate that scene in your head. I could draw out the room in my family, uh, in my in my family's old house, where the Commodore sixty four is. You know that seminal moment. It's you. You cannot divorce the two. So if he was seventeen and saying, "Hey, they don't make games like this," then I'd say, "Okay, now we can have a real discussion." But it is impossible to divorce. Um, you know these retro games from what you what you bring into them personally. Yeah. If you grew up with them, nostalgia is an incredibly intoxicating thing. Sure. And that's for any medium. Um, you, you, you're right when you talked about movies, you know, imagine what people were like when movies first, you know, when, when you know, the black and white, even the silent ones came out. I'm sure once, you know, color and things like that, you know, folks that grew up with those are like, no, they don't make movies like that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, it's a trap that a lot of people fall into, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, can anyone guess who the person with, who, who, is the, who has the hippest taste in music that I know? It's my dad, and he's like 59 years old. Because he noticed when he was young that around 18, like most people just stop listening to new music. Yeah. Like as they go yeah. into adulthood, they, they listen to the music they listen to in high school and college for the rest of their lives. Yeah. They yeah. never experience new music. And he was like, I don't want to be like that. So he's like every single day, like scouring the internet, scouring music blogs, listening to indie radio shows, and finding new bands. And he's always telling me about these new bands, like mm-hmm. months before they're going to blow up. Pe- so people that's what do this with their, with their political beliefs as well. They yeah. do it with like a, a number of things where you kind of reach a point where you're like, I'm done growing now. All the things I loved will be those I'm things I'm just going to like these things now. And this is forever. me. Like, the me tree is done. It hit the top. And now you can cut little branches off here and there forever. But it's not going to grow, like, a whole extra thing. Or we're not going to turn it into something else. So, and I mean, in some ways, I'm glad that some game developers are stunted in that growth. Because then we <laughs> sure. get games like Guacamelee. Sure. And yeah. you hear something like Metroidvania, which is like, we didn't have that word when we were kids. Because we had Metroid in Castlevania. Yeah. And we never thought about sure. that. No, they'll, they'll just keep making these forever. We don't need a name for that. They're just called games. But now, <laughs> you have to specify that there's that. Because otherwise, it's like these cinematic blockbuster games. Which, you know, 
they are prevalent, and I think that they have their time and place. Like, I love Tomb Raider, but I love Guacamelee. Like, I want to be able to play both of those things. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of the ecosystem we exist in, right? That yeah. the Blu-ray disc is usually that AAA experience, and then the PSN, Xbox Live, Steam, that's where you're seeing these great indie mm -hmm. games where they can say, you know, we're Guacamelee, we're Drinkbox, and we want to throw back to, you know, these games of old. There is something to be said for his description of, you know, a lot of these big games is like watching a movie unfold with your help. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. I'm playing yeah. through Bioshock Infinite again with my girlfriend. She watches me play. She says it's just like watching a really violent Disney cartoon, you know. Uh, but I don't know if that's a bad thing. No. I mean, that's what we want out of games, or what I want out of games, yeah. right, is I want all these different experiences. I want yeah. there to be this spectrum mm -hmm. of things where if I want that, I can do that, and if I want something super interactive in first person, I can do that, and if I want a third person RPG, it's over mm -hmm. there. And mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's one of the great things about this particular time in games is that we have these incredible cinematic experiences, and then we have all this great stuff that's coming up through Kickstarter or that it's on all the yeah. indie channels. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a gamer, the breadth of content right now is is It's astounding. really awesome, and it, it's it's totally, every time I get a little worried when I'm just like, well, the business model is to make bigger and bigger games with bigger explosions and sound and everything like that, and all these companies are going out of business, they can't support that. On the flip side, there's games like Minecraft, and there's iPhone games, and there's like a, a game like Guacamelee, which mm -hmm. won't sell through the roof, but it didn't cost a billion dollars to make. So things like that will always sort of exist, and then especially now with Kickstarter. like. There are 16-bit games funded every single day that I think now more than ever, those things are happening. Yeah, I've been noticing this recently, you know, Levi, you have some experience with iOS games. A decent amount. If you look in the App Store, if you just look at like icons for games, do you know how many, how many There's of them? There's a lot of pixel you, art right How now. much pixel art there is? <laughs> like, it's, it's almost getting, I love pixel art, and it's almost getting to the point where I'm like, okay, all right, that's maybe yeah, try something a little I'm different. Not quite, I'm not quite there yet, but um, yeah, I can see, I mean, there's, I think, but but that that goes back to what you're saying about your dad is that you know he says that folks you know kind of solidify what they want to listen to at 18 and then don't listen to anything else. I think it, for for me at least for me personally, I still you know love all that stuff I listen to at, at at 18. But I think my musical tastes have grown. But you can draw a direct line sure. back to to everything. You know we were talking you know earlier about you can draw Daft a direct Punk. line back to Tears for Fears exactly and Depeche Mode. Yeah, I mean I don't all of a sudden you know, love metal or anything like that. Everything that I like usually has a line that goes back through some of that, you know, mm -hmm. 80s Britpop I was listening to. Yeah. So. I would, so I would say, Pedro, uh, try to avoid being, becoming a cynical, like, grumpy gamer where you're like, oh, back, games. Back in know, my day. Yeah. Well, so make them like nostalgia can be an awesome thing yeah. and it can also be a very paralyzing thing. Yeah. And I think he's, you're in that zone where it can be like, they don't make anything. Nostalgia can be so exclusionary, and I That's hope true. he doesn't use that as a way to shut himself yeah. off from, from new experiences. Come back to the light all, all those games you loved growing up, they still exist. Mm -hmm. You can play them whenever you want. They're still making games like that. If they're today. Nintendo games, then you that's probably buy them have. three times yeah. a year. That's pretty much all. I, I still do that. I mean, I buy, I buy Super Mario Brothers every single year on, and everything they put it out. If it was on iPhone, I'd buy it there, and I'd be like, the controls don't... I would just always buy it and that's just the way it is but yeah like we're saying you don't ever want to become that like kids today yeah bad old guy that hates like the rock music and all the stuff going on next door like never be that's that not guy. a fun person to no be. never i mean you you can't really say that only the games that existed on the master system or the nes those are authentic video games because you know we talked about this you know the pursuit of the authentic is just so off-putting and so it is the uh it's the gateway drug to, to being a hipster yeah, well, pursuit of the that authentic. Is actually, yeah, that's a, that's a good point to make. Today's surprise lightning round topic is: Have you heard about this reality show that they want to make for, with the couple that they're going to send to Mars? 
No. No. So they're. Wait, wait, what? Can, can I can I explain? Is yes, it a young please couple. Do. It's a. They are. <laughs> is it what? Is it's it a young, young couple. couple. <laughs> they are going to send a couple to Mars, and they're going to make a reality show out of finding the couple, uh, and then it's going to be a competition, and the two people will win. And oh, then, finding the couple on Earth. Yeah, but then they're still going to like. <laughs> I thought you meant we're sending them to Mars, and then someone else has to go find them. That's the show. No, that's no. crazy. They're not going to find them, but they are sending them to Mars. It, it is a one-way trip. Tomorrow, someone's yes. like electing to go die on another planet as a part of a reality TV show. Who's who's sending them? To, like what? They got their own spaceship. They're doing like a Virgin Atlantic America the people, flight. Thing? The people organizing the show. This is like over the next ten years. So this is going to happen. Prediction: This show will never ever happen. So? Never ever happen. It's like somebody like we all watched Truman Show and said like, yeah, God, that's a really interesting commentary on our reality culture. And one person is like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> How can I take that? You know, some yeah. people are going to. Like volunteer for this? Of course. Oh yeah, absolutely. I cannot. So I gotta say, maybe it's wait, like wait, my, wait, wait. I'm done. I'm done living on planet Earth. Maybe it's I my inner fat dude. But the first thing I feared, I was just like, food. That's I was like, I will be there about? for 15 years, and I won't get all the food I love here. I worry about my spaceship be... crashing into Mars. You really? won't get anything. Like food is just one of what a million happened? things. What are they gonna do when they get there? They just get there? They're supposed to like set up shop. And li- I guess Set live, live as long as they can. What? This is I like how we're all concerned about technology <laughs> and food. And the idea of being in that tight space with somebody for 20 so years. That's why they want to be a couple. That's the drama. That's called it's marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what? Like, how do you feel? Like when you blast off and then you want, you're, you get that first shot of Earth passing away, and you're like, Ooh. no, <laughs> I've, made, I've made a huge mistake. The ship is not coming back. You're either dying in route or you're dying on planet Mars. Yeah. And we'll we will presumably watch watch it. I think I think it's incredibly fascinating. And I mean it's actually it's really not different than there are, are scientific programs being set up now that are just sort of like, hey, we want to send this manned mission out. It's gonna last for 20 years. We want to see how these people interact with each other, or hey, this might take your whole life. This is now with a camera. That's the only real difference right. is that it's televised for all of our perverted minds to watch because Real life is so fucked up that we have to watch other people die. So, Damon, space. when are you and I applying? Because <laughs> you and I would be the perfect couple. Well, you guys would get in the perfect. ship, you would take off, and Greg would fart. <laughs> yeah. and you'd be like, well, oh, this is my shit. forever now. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward this to you guys. This is how I wanted to go. <laughs> finally getting to Mars looking like Statler and Waldorf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Thanks for joining us today, Levi. My pleasure, absolutely. Stay tuned for more from IGN Games. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.